0: The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you this morning, and it's great for and me to be here. We've been with you the last seven weeks. You get the endurance test, okay, and award for that. Thank you. Uh, We've enjoyed our time here at First Baptist so much, uh, and uh, it's great that we've met a bunch of new friends and uh, folks who own this part of Texas, and... uh, the Lord willing, I'm going to be back in October uh, to torture you again, okay? And uh, so we'll be back here in New York. Uh, but uh, it, one thing that is very obvious, Sandy and I are both talking about it, this has been a church that has well led. Um, I know your staff. We got to know Ellis and Priscilla went to Israel with them uh, this past fall and and uh, uh, they are great folks and led this church well but we also know you've got a plan for God has a plan for the future and I'm going to be back in October. I actually uh, will have just finished being in Israel for about the 30th time. Sandy and I lead a group every year. If you'd love to go with us we'd love to have you. We leave September 1st but I'll be coming back with the freshness of being in Israel, and uh, so look forward to being with you if uh, you don't have a pastor by then, okay? Open your Bibles, if you would, to me. We've been in the book of Mark. I want you to uh, move over a few pages to your right, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter number 1. Now, before we get into these first 11 verses, I want to just give you a little picture about how we got to where we got to in this situation. Uh, please remember that uh, three years earlier than this text we'll look at today, Peter, James, John, Matthew were just ordinary folks living out an ordinary life in Israel. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They lived in the occupations like many of you do that serve their community. And along comes a guy that says, I, I want to change your life. And uh, he called them to follow him. Uh, And uh, someone they, they, many might not have known at all. A couple of them believe James and John were cousins, which I believe that's so, but knew of him. But I want you to follow me. And so for three years, they followed Jesus step by step. Uh, They listened to him teach as no one had ever taught. They watched him do miracles. They watched him take loaves and fishes and feed thousands. They saw him bless people, bring folks from the dead. And and can, can you imagine for these ordinary Galilean men and women, the kind of excitement that it was building in their soul about Jesus who he was, what he could do, and, and their desire to follow him, and what it meant to follow him, which they, they totally did not grasp. Not even in this text had they grasped it. But all of a sudden, in the middle of that, with things just going on an upward path, Jesus is arrested. And they're shocked by that. They think it's going to be a temporary thing. And, and Jesus is arrested. And as it moves on, they realize this isn't a temporary thing. Uh, something significant happening right here. And then you have the ugliness of that day, the cross. When standing on the edge of the crowd, many of them, they watched this one they had followed be crucified. And, and can, can, can you imagine what had gone through their mind? You, you may have in your life like me had some hopes and dreams of what it would be. And, and it didn't, I have that every time I go play golf, okay? I step on the front tee wondering what the course record is, all right? And when I'm finished, I hope I have enough golf balls left, all right, uh, to make it around. You, you, the the sense of anticipation that they had, and the cross just destroyed every bit of that. And they're trying to figure out where they're going and what's going to happen, and then... They hear that he has come from the dead. And they remember that he had told them that he was. And uh, Mary Magdalene and his women come. We went to the tomb. It's empty. And we celebrated it last Sunday in Easter. And the and, and excitement of that moment. And and, and not a, he's not dead. He's been risen from the dead. And they're with him. And I can imagine they would say, Jesus, stick here close by. We're not going to let you get arrested again, all right? We're going to make sure you're right here with us. But here's the issue. Jesus can't stay with them. If he did, he would only, he'd always be limited by the physical proximity of where he was to them. He had to ascend to heaven. So what? The Holy Spirit could come. So that, as we heard the prayer earlier about missionaries around the world or wherever it would be, you would have Jesus there with him. You'd have God there with him. Why? Because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you find them right here in this place, and Jesus is about to ascend. And we're going to look at the book of Acts. Now, by the way, let's just stand and honor the word of God this morning. I'm going to read these first 11 verses, all right? And this is the in-between time of Jesus going to cross, rising, and uh, going to heaven. The first book, O Theopolis, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And to teach, and by the way, we believe that first book was Luke, writing the Gospel of Luke. Until the day he was taken up, and after he would given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after their suffering by many proofs, appearing to them not just once or twice, but over 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of me, that John would baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the season. The Father has fixed on his own authority. Verse 8, key verse in all of the New Testament. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the ends of the earth and when they had said these things they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by him in white them in white robes men of Galilee why do you stand here looking into heaven this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven all right, you may be seated. Thank you for standing to honor the word of God. As you look at this, you begin to realize that the disciples still didn't get it. And yet there's two things about, two or three things about this text. I want us to grab and, and, and then look at a few more things and I'll be done by one o'clock, I promise. All right? And, uh, but, but the first thing is Jesus used a four-letter word. We usually call a four-letter word a curse word, okay? Well, it's one of those words in the Bible that is a very difficult word for me. Verse number four, he said to them to wait. Now, how many of you like waiting, okay? I mean, you go to the doctor, you go to the dentist, you go every place you go. Having to wait is an incredible, difficult experience. It's especially difficult spiritually. In fact, every one of us in this room today who know Christ are in the waiting room in some place where God has said to you not yet. I want you to wait. And by the way, if you and I cannot learn to wait the way God wants us to do, this Christian life's going to be very frustrating. Because waiting's tough and we expect instant instant satisfaction, instant fulfillment of everything we pray. We're we're going to be disappointed with God. Because as I look through the scriptures, very, very often, he says to you and me, I want you to wait for my timing. As I've looked at this word through the New Testament, Old Testament, 86 times in the Bible, God made a promise to someone and said, but you've got to wait. And you and I need to learn spiritually how to wait and trust in God's activity in the kingdom of God. But then also I look at this these guys are still asking stupid questions, okay? In fact, I can identify with him. I would have been a pretty good apostle because I can come up with stupid, all right? I know how to do that. I, I remember in seminary, I, I had a professor, Dr. Hendricks. He's my theology professor. And he was an incredible professor. And we were in systematic class one day. And what he would do is he would lecture for about 20 minutes. He'd say, put down your pencil, I'm gonna to talk to you. And he would just talk to us. And then he'd say, okay, take this paragraph. And what he had done is he had composed a paragraph that summarized everything that he did. I still have my systematic notes, they're incredible. But then you go, okay, questions, Raise your hand. You had to have your hand up. He'd go, one, two, three, four, five, one. And you'd ask the question. Sometimes he'd look at us and go, that's a dumb question. What's number two? All right? For that reason, I never ask many questions, okay? I was dumb enough as it was. But they're asking Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They are still thinking about the past. They're thinking about the kingdom of God, limited to one nation, to one way to do things, to one process of reaching God. And they were caught up in the past and thinking that their job was to take the past and maybe make it a little better or impose it upon the future. And what we got to realize is there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God did something in a certain way to prepare everyone for the coming of the Messiah. But once the Messiah had come... Now the Holy Spirit has come. It is a game changer. Everything is going to be new. He's going to do things in a new way. And I'm afraid. Now listen to this. Please let me say this in a way that I hope you will receive in a kind way. We still do the same thing. Very, very often, especially my generation, those of us who are in their 40s or 50s or so, okay, we sometimes talk about the good old days. Okay, those days weren't that great, but they were good because they blessed us. And so we live in the past of the way to do church very often. And in doing so, thinking the only way God can bless the future is if we do it like we did it in the past. And that attitude can cause us to get locked in into maintaining something, keeping some form alive that that, that was great in the past. But maybe God wants to be doing some new things in the future and we won't allow him to do it because we only think about the way things used to be, the the way we used to dress at church, the, the way the schedule went, the way the music was done. What we do is we live in some form And we identify that form as the only way that God can move. Now, by the way, it can be just as dangerous in the contemporary music world or the contemporary church world to think maybe what we even did this morning is, quote, the only way that God's going to bless something. Listen, God doesn't live by forms and functions. God lives by something called the power of the Holy Spirit. And the the, the sad thing is if we go put him in a box and say the only way God can move is to do it this way or do it this situation, I want to say to you, no matter what you do in the future as a church, don't limit God by the past, your preferences, your perspective, because God is up to something great. I I remember one time when I I was taking a basic art class, and Sandy, you'll help me with this. There are three basic colors. There's blue and red and green. Yellow, there they are. Blue, red, yellow. There are three colors. Every other color comes from those. Now listen to this. Even though there are only three basic colors, every single night, God paints a new sunset with those colors. That's who God is. God's about something greater than what we see and what we think. And these disciples couldn't get away from that until the Holy Spirit came. But then there's something else is I think these were, must have been a good bunch of Baptist guys, okay? And the reason why, it says they stood around looking into heaven, watching everything going on. And I want you to know, we have a whole lot of people in God's church who are still standing around, watching it happen, seeing what God's doing, maybe applauding when we like it. And this angel said to them, why are you standing around? This same Jesus, this Jesus that, 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 that rose from the dead wants to do something incredible great. And if you just stand around and watch, you're going to miss the greatness and the wonder and the power of the kingdom of God. That, that's why they say 20% of the people give 80% of the money and do 80% of the work. Why? Because there's about eighty to 60 60 to 80% that are watching what's going on. And, and what happens is when we stand around gazing, we miss what God wants to do in the days ahead, what God wants to do in this kingdom, what he wants to do through you and me. And I'd say to you today that that God wants you to do a whole lot more than watch what is happening. He's got something for you pretty special. If you will just decide, my role is not to watch everyone do it. It is to be involved when you hear about missions, when you hear about discipleship groups, when you hear about small groups. That's God inviting you into his kingdom's work, not Sandy and me. We we go to church at Field. It's a pretty large church and and, and a great bunch of people. But do you know what my church is, our church is? Our 21-member small group is where we do church. I can name all 21 members. I can tell you about their kids, their grandkids. I can tell you about all the medical problems. That's what you do at our ages. Talk about medical problems, okay? And the grandkids and all that's going on. And we live it out through the. We were there last week and I, the, the sense we get of community and our involvement and we're working with a single mom. We're working with a, a group of widows within our church. We're involved in what God's doing in our serve Arlington. And we're doing it together as the church. And we don't allow anybody in our group to stand around and watch. Everyone's engaged and involved. I just say to you, if you've been watching, you are missing what God wants to do through you and how God wants to move in your life and how God wants to let you see the kingdom of God. Well, in this text, in response to dumb questions, in response to standing around verse number eight, Jesus said, you know something, guys, I'm going to do something special but you've got to realize there's some ingredients to this something special. The first one, the first one is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you look at these verses, so if they'd come together, it says, and while they were still talking and he's talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, verse number eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, something's going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What he's saying right here is I'm leaving so that I can come live within you. And then when I come live within you, there's going to be a power within you that is supernatural. The power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is not going to be dormant. The Holy Spirit is never going to be satisfied with watching what is happening around. The Holy Spirit is going to be something that even creates a dissatisfaction in your soul when you're sitting on the sidelines trying to recreate the past. What the Holy Spirit wants to do, he wants to do something new and powerful in your life. And you'll never know that. I'll never know that. If we decide just to sit on the sidelines and, and watch it happen and see what's going on. See what God says to you and me. Is I want it to be more than you coming to church. I want to show up in your life. I'm going to show up in your worship. I want to show up in every aspect of your life and let you know what it means for a, a Holy Spirit to infuse you and use you for his glory. And you say, Well, what can God do with me? Well, I want to remind you: Jesus started with a ragtag bunch of Galilean fishermen. He started with crooked tax collectors. He started with people that, 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 were, that were doubters like Thomas, started with people who, who, who had all kinds of doubts about him. And yet when you begin to read the book of Acts, this small group of people turned the world upside down. You say, wow, how did they do church? What did they wear to church? What kind of music did they do? What kind of form did the church have? It doesn't tell us anything about that. Here's the one thing it tells us. It was about the Holy Spirit being involved in people's lives and using them for the kingdom of God. Do you know in the book of Acts, just these 26 or so chapters, this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit is mentioned 66 times in one book. In fact, in in my Bible, it talks about this book. They title it the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles what God wants to talk about is not the acts of first Baptist Richardson He wants to talk about the acts of first Baptist Richardson through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And you look in this text and you begin to see that God moved mightily and transformed that world and, and took that world all the way across the known world. And today you and I know the gospel, not because of Paul, not because of Peter, but God a James and John. But we know the gospel today because of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And what does God want to do in this church? I, I, I have no idea. It's not my business to decide that. To be honest with you, it's not your business to decide that. That's the business and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And what God wants to do in Richardson is something this city doesn't talk about. This church talks about the power of God, how God takes ordinary people like you and me and uses us for his glory and shows the world that it's something done by him and not done by us. So I'd say to you today that the hope of the future is the work of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, Gary, how will we know that the Holy Spirit has shown up? In other words, will there be more money Will we build more buildings? Will we baptize more? Will we have a bigger attendance? Well, I have a friend of mine by the name of Bill Elliff. Bill is an incredible guy. In fact, if you ever want to read on revival, you ought to pull up Bill Elliff. That's two Fs in Frank Bill Elliff's blog and, and see what he says about revival. I believe he's the foremost authority on revival in, in my generation. I was with Bill the other day. I said, Bill, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, What are the evidence of it? And he said, well, first of all, it's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. But then you see the power of the Spirit at work in the people. And he said, in the history of America, in the history of of God's work, uh, in the great awakenings that have come to our land, there's always been four things that were present in all of those great movements. First one, confession of sin. When God shows up, the Holy Spirit shows the unholy Gary... What's amiss in my life? And there's the willingness to confess my sin, to say, yes, God, that is wrong in my life. That is sin. And then the second thing is to be willing to lay aside anything God says lay aside for his kingdom. It says in the, in the book of Hebrews, it says it this way when, when it talks about doing this. It says, you know something? We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to know we're going to have to lay aside some things to be what God wants us to be, to change our lifestyles, our attitude, whatever. It talks about sin being a weight on us. It keeps us from being able to run the race swiftly. I, uh, we have a little granddaughter and, and she's, uh, she's a little over one year old and, and she, we, she, the other day we put her on the scales playing with her. She weighed 26 pounds and, and I was reminded of a friend of mine that had recently lost 50 pounds. He talked about how much better that he felt and how much less he hurt and all those kind of things. And I was holding that little girl and I thought, my goodness, my friend was carrying around two of these No wonder his health was so bad. No wonder he wasn't getting anywhere physically. No wonder he was tired all the time. Well, listen to me. That's the way it is about spiritual things. There's the weight of sin, not just to be confessed, but it's to be laid aside. The Holy Spirit not only wants to show us what's wrong, he wants to lead us how to lay that aside. But then the third thing is the willingness to respond to what the Holy Spirit says and not quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, go here, go here. The Holy Spirit says, go here, go here. In fact, I'd encourage you just to read the book of Acts and see how many times it said, and I woke up and God said, go here. And Philip says, I want you to go down to the Gaza and I want you to go to this place. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to say this to this person. What was that done by? Did they learn that in a class? No. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You and I want to be what God wants us to be. We've got to be quickened and led by the Spirit of God. But then also, the next result is a willingness to testify about what God's doing. In fact, if someone at work or at school stopped you and said, tell me something God's doing in your life, would you have to think very long? Would you have to go, well, let's say, let me think about my quad time three weeks ago when I read a scripture verse, or let me think about this. No, there ought to be on our lips and on our tongue the fact that God's been at work within our lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is going to be transforming people, and the Holy Spirit will so transform them, it'll be on their lips. They want to speak to others about it. So when revival comes, There will be the work of God that will just boil out of our soul and out of our lives. And so how do we know that God's at work at First Baptist Richardson? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And what can we identify as the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of God's church? But then the second thing is this power that God gives us is so we can get everything we want from him. His power is not within us so we can have a prayer life that gets things ordered and our kids obey and, and our finances go right and every physical thing disappears. That's what some people will tell you. And when the Spirit comes, you'll have this wonderful, easy life. I, I'd, I'd encourage you, if you believe that, go meet those 11 disciples and find out 10 of them were martyred for their faith. Their willingness to be filled with the Spirit and walk with God cost them their life, Okay. Let me tell you, there are two evidences of the Holy Spirit. First one is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those kinds of things. But do you know what the second one is? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I I wish I had time this morning. In fact, I did this as a little bit of an exercise in preparation for this. I just started moving through the Scripture. And every time it said, filled with the Spirit, do you know what the very next word was? and they spoke about the kingdom of God. They spoke to the world. They were filled with the spirit, and they went to the streets to speak about God. What will be the evidence in your life and my life that the Holy Spirit is filling us? It's the word of God and the ways of God's on our lips, on our heart. It's more important to us than who the Dallas Cowboys are going to draft <laughs> or what the weather's going to be the next three days. What's going to happen in our bank account? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, there will be a testimony about Jesus all over this community. In fact, let me just be honest with you. This morning, there's about six or 700 missionaries that are gathering on this campus. We'll come to church together. Now, what are we going to do with the word of God as missionaries. We're going to wait for next week, next week's sermon, or we're going to wait for the next Bible study. No, he has said to every one of us, I want you to know something. When the Holy Spirit comes upon me, you will be my witnesses. You say, well, where? Well, where do you live? Where do you go to school? What family are you in? What neighborhood are you in? Who who do you pass on the pathway of life? That's our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, yes, God may take some of us to Bangladesh and live in a mud hut. Hallelujah for those people who give their lives for that. But guess what? They should be no more a missionary of the works of God than you and me. And when the Holy Spirit is here, we'll all sense that missionary purpose that God wants us to have. Last thing, I'll conclude. How do you know when the Holy Spirit has fallen on a place? As they begin to talk about that last verse, that one of these days, Jesus is coming back. Now, when it said it right here, in the same way, he's coming back. That's been 2,000 years. And you know, the devil's pretty good at saying, well, if he's waited this long, how do we know it's soon? Well, I, I would encourage you to study the New Testament. You say, well, wait a minute, Gary. If I study the New Testament, will it give me the date and the hour? No. The Bible says to us in Matthew 23 and 24, nobody knows, not even Jesus knows. But you know what it also says? Is there will be signs of his coming. Ladies, do you know a phrase that is used about the second coming of Jesus? It talks about birth pain. When a woman is pregnant with a child, she knows when that child is coming. Something's stirring. There's some signs. Now, guys, we don't know anything about that, all right? <laughs> but you know the one person that knows? It's the one birthing the baby. They can see the signs that are happening. It talks about the fig tree blossoming and what's going to happen there. I'm not a a great prophecy guy. I'm not going to give you time, date, and serial number, but I can tell you this. I look around our world right now, something's happening. And I believe it's indication that the king is coming back. What does that mean to you and me? It means to you and me that whatever God's called us to do, we need to be about. I mean, why are we waiting to obey God? He's coming soon. We can read a prophecy book. and We can talk about all the signs and, and look to the world. We're very intellectual and very smart about the coming of Jesus. But what difference does it make in how we live and how we talk to people? I want you to know, I think Jesus is coming soon. And I think it ought to change Gary Smith, how I live and what I do. Now, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy life doesn't mean i don't go on vacation and play around the golf it doesn't mean that i spend all my time at church no, it just means i'm aware and everything i do every person that i meet that this jesus is going to part the clouds one day soon and he's come back and get this world and this people and it ought to change how we live and what we do and you said, well Gary, okay, I know about you preacher types. Y'all you have got something to do every Sunday, okay? Sure, you're going to be a witness. You're preparing sermons and doing all that stuff. And, and, you know, that's what you're required to do, okay? Well, yeah, okay, some of that's true. But you see, I'm convinced there's some people sitting in this room like this kid that I knew that grew up in 17 Westbrook in Hot Springs, Arkansas, a ragtag kid that... But he looked around and wondered where he's going to go and what he's going to do wrong next. I'm convinced God can take any ragtag kid and use him for his glory because that's me. God chose me out of something. Wow. Let me be a part of his kingdom. But guess what? He wants to do the same with you. You say, what do you mean? What can God do with me? I'm a high school student. I'm a... Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in an occupation. I'm, I'm, what, what, why, let me just give you a little picture, and I'll conclude. In our small group last Wednesday night, we got a report from a guy named Brian Hammonds. None of you know who Brian Hammonds is. His name's not in lights. He doesn't have a television program. But several years ago, he just felt God had more for him than what he was doing. He was a deacon. He taught Bible study class, did all kinds of things. He felt like God wanted him to use his talents for the glory of God somewhere. He, Brian's a pharmacist. So he began to look up medical missions. And he discovered a medical mission to a country called Moldova. Does anybody in here know where Moldova is? I want you to know till Brian went. I didn't even know there was a country called Moldova, all right? You know, Brian gets with some other doctors and goes over there and meets some great Christians who want to make a difference, but they're very poor. He comes back and begins to tell our church about it. He tells our small group about it. He said, they don't have any way to make a living. And so what we did is we started contributing to a lady who would build a, 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 a hothouse for vegetables, a greenhouse, and try and make a living doing that. It is now a greenhouse it's 80 by 40. And this lady is the number one vegetable seller in all the region. Used to, she had to take them down to the market. Now they come to her. She's using that money to help build the church. And she's go, got a pastor and his wife. And we help support that pastor and his wife. And now we send groups every year. And Ryan comes over there and he comes back. He's not asking anybody for money. He's paying his own way. And I've watched God use that man mightily in Moldova <laughs> to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. God's got a plan for you. He wants you to be involved in the acts of the Holy Spirit. And he's calling you to be willing to surrender your life to do that. And when that Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be something powerful. You're going to see God use you in a way that you could never imagine. Do you want that? Are you, do you just want church like it's always been? Do you want that or do you want this just to be a place where you attend? A place where you get something from the music and the sermon? Do you want to see what the Holy Spirit of God can do through you? But guess what it'll take? Just what it took here. A group of people who did wait. Who quit standing around and watching. Who lifted their hand. Say, God, here am I. You send me. Are you ready to do that? I can tell you if you are. God's going to show you something. It's going to be incredible. Just for you. Just for his glory. Okay, bow your head with me, please, for just a minute. Would you, we conclude this service? Let me just ask you Are you ready to write the next chapter of the book of Acts? And it's about not Paul or Peter. James or John. It's about you and what God wants to do through you. Now, I want you to know there's no program at this church that'll get you there. There's no sermon that'll make it happen. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And would you right now say, Holy Spirit be at work in me now, now guess what when you invite the Holy Spirit there one of the first things he's going to do is point out your unholiness it's what a holy God does but you see there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus he's not telling you that to condemn you he's telling that so you can lay it aside put it to the cross The Bible says, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins, cleanse you of all unrighteousness and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you call me to do, I'll go do. And however you work in my life, I'm going to tell others about it because I want the world to know about you. Father, take these moments. Take these moments. And do your work. Not to recreate the past. Not to find an easy chair. But oh God to grab hold of your hand. Your Holy Spirit. Get involved in your work. And see you supernaturally use us. Do that in these people here today. Do that in me. For your glory in Jesus name I pray. Amen.